I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Welcome to this episode of Software Radio. I'm even wearing a shirt that says Software just to prove that. My name is Rad, your host. I have a very special guest today, Dale Buckner, former Green Beret, Special Forces. Let me go ahead and read a little bit about Dale real quick, okay? So, Green Beret Dale Buckner, current CEO of international security firm Global Guardian. Dale used his military background to start the company and last year evacuated over 11,000 people out of Ukraine and Russia. They've also evacuated close to 700 people from Afghanistan after the government collapsed and over 3,000 people during the COVID-19 border crisis. Global Guardian works with organizations, over 30 in the Fortune 1000, that want to protect their people, assets, and communications at home and abroad. They offer a wide range of services, including emergency response, security, intelligence, evacuations, and kidnap and ransom services, okay? Global Guardian began with just eight ground teams in 2012 and now has teams on the ground in 134 countries. They actively go on missions in countries such as Iraq, Syria, Brazil, Mexico, Taiwan, Russia, and Ukraine. They support complex and challenging locations while many of their competitors do not. They also help their clients in terrorist and natural disaster situations, filling the void left by insurance companies. So since 2016, Global Guardian has responded to at least one hurricane a year and helped evacuate thousands to safety. And the person that I have with me today is Dale Buckner in charge of all of those things I just said. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Rad. You're hired. I would take you on as a salesman tomorrow because you just explained the business in detail. You know, and just to show, this is what happens when you decide as a young man, right? How old were you when you joined the military, Dale? So I was 19. 19. I was a cadet at Mansfield University. I joined the Pennsylvania National Guard as a private, went through basic AIT and, and airborne school as a private, and then continued on through college until I got commissioned. Oh, so you uh, bucked the system and enlisted, went in as an enlisted guy, decided to educate yourself and become more of a military career-minded individual to become an officer. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, I had an ROTC scholarship. I don't even think this exists anymore. But back in the 90s, they had this thing called SMP. I'm dating myself, of course, simultaneous membership program where you could be in the National Guard enlisted and you could be a cadet at the same time, the eventuality that you'd eventually get commissioned as an officer. And that's the path I was on. So when you went through basic as a private and, you know, went to airborne school, did you know you were going to go through the special forces course? Is this something that you had lined up? No, in full transparency, I think I was like a lot of people in school. I had no idea what I really wanted to do. I was trying to figure it out like many 
I gravitated towards the military, obviously, and then ROTC and then enlisting in that unit, it was eye opening. And I think what I learned is the military for me is I love the teamwork. I did execute a internship with Delta Airlines and I just didn't like the corporate culture when I was that young. And I didn't have a plan to go in the military on active duty. I, I did have the option to go in the reserves. But after the internship and being exposed to corporate America, I realized that I, I really did enjoy the teamwork aspect. So the military became my first option, but I did not intend on doing more than three or four years in my commitment. And I was close to getting out. I had hired a headhunter. I started looking at MBA programs. And then a very good friend of mine had gone into special forces and then connected me in. And that's how that whole thing started. And to be frank, you know, I made that transition and 20 years of my life kind of flew by like I fell asleep and woke up the next day. It's almost like you maybe took just one step after another and you were just in this situation and that's just your life. Yeah, it was. I, and I would tell you Global Guardian and my corporate career is the same way. I didn't have a master plan. This has been a sequential term mm-hmm. of events that kind of led to this. But I don't regret a single day of my military time. It forced me to think broadly. It forced me to live abroad and understand culture and language. And it forced me to kind of see the real world beyond just the American borders, which has been wildly helpful, both just in growing as a person. And more importantly, it's helped me very, very much now in my corporate space. For sure. With the team environment and just, you probably still use a whiteboard. I don't know if you use a whiteboard or not. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, they're all over the place here in the headquarters. We use them every Right. Yeah. Right. Growing up with my father being a Green Beret, I'd always be in his armory's office and they had this long white whiteboard and it was just constantly in use. Right. And two years planning. I was just a young kid, but I meet a lot of SF guys and they still have this whiteboard all over. Yeah. You're not the only. <laughs> no, I think everyone leaves. The the one really precious thing the military does, and then I would say the government in general whether that's Secret Service, FBI, CIA, whatever those organ, you know, whatever organization you might be tied to, I do. I can tell you factually now that I've been in corporate America a decade. The one true attribute that we will always should value about the government is the level of training the government in, invests in its people. It is night and day better than anything I've seen in corporate America because corporations are based on profit and margin mm-hmm. and focusing on the bottom line, and they're just simply not going to spend the money to train people the way the government will. So all of those lessons learned about planning, communication, management of people, and then operational excellence in the military or any government agency for that matter, is something that I don't think is replicable in corporate America because the spend is not there, the time is not there, and you're not on this professional development path that you do get in the military. It's just really hard to replicate. So to their credit, I I owe the government, I owe the military for the rest of my life for that training and that experience and that exposure. Well, that's very nice to say. And and, and I'm not like, you know, sponsored, paid by any military branch to say recruit. But but if somebody listening right now has the inclination to think about joining up, the Guard is a great way to go because, A, it's, it's your backyard. You're going to know it. You're going to come back to it when you go to boot camp. A lot of people go to basic and they get homesick very quickly because they're not sure what the next step is. They're going to be sent someplace. But the guard kind of gives you that structure like you're going to come back to the Utah or wherever you're located and and work there and and get those skills in set. So I'm just pointing you in the direction of your local guard recruiter if you're listening. You know, that's it. Just check them out. Hit them up. Tell them rad and 
Dale sent you. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Like I, I couldn't agree more. And I do think as you look at how the turmoil, even domestically with the reserves in the National Guard, whether it's flooding in California, fires in California, right. freeze in Texas, hurricanes hitting the East Coast, all of these things, let alone some civil unrest. I think the frequency of those is ever increasing right here in our backyard, as you stated. And I think the volatility of those things is ever increasing. So I think the value of not only the personal experience that you would get in in the National Guard of the Reserves, but then the fact that you really do have a real mission and real purpose, again, is really valuable in someone that's young and developing and trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. It's a great outlet. Right. And if they knew that there was active duty within the guard, it might just open up their mind a little bit more. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, cause green berets, they go to sleep on the clock. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my dad in the eighties and my, maybe early nineties that him and my mom broke it down to like $2 and 14 cents an hour. Yeah. <laughs> 24 yeah, hours a day. Yeah. And, and when you think about that versus all the training you get out of it, right? Yeah. I mean, leadership yeah. programs within the SF culture. It, one thing, getting the green beanie, your green beret, the special forces tab. Within that group, there is a group above the group that have like additional scuba. Sure. Okay? You know, yeah. are you a you're a scuba? Aren't you scuba? I was. I had a scuba team in Third uh, Battalion, Seventh Special Forces Group. It was a wonderful experience probably top two experiences in my life of being around people like that and, and what we were exposed to in the ocean and lakes and things like that. It was quite spectacular looking back on my life. Oh, yeah. See, my dad always was chasing that. He's like, you know, I still have a scuba. He just yeah. was like, no scuba, because he loved a scuba. He just never uh, yeah. put into a scuba program. And so, no, that's really cool. I, I love that. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. You've been all over the world with the teams, and I know you've done classified stuff, and I'm not asking you to say anything like that, but do you have any, any like, what's going on, in your opinion, with, you know, Afghanistan? You had to go in there and, and yeah. rescue, you know, 700 folks to get out. You know, I've talked to another friend of mine over in England. He was a former SAS and captured. They never knew he was SAS, but he had gotten a ton of guys out as well, you know, yeah. right after the collapse. Everybody's wanting to blame political theater on the collapse when, can I get your opinion on it? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One, I, I did go to Afghanistan while I was in, mili- in the military as a colonel. And then when I, after I retired, we obviously, we still are operating in Afghanistan. Global Guardian as a corporate entity is still operating there. And I, I like to tell our clients, we were there before the war. We're going to mm-hmm. be there during the war, yeah, after, there after the war. So specifically to the evacuation itself, from my corporate hat, is yes, we we took corporate and government contractors out of the country. We didn't do anything by air. And I know that most people are very myopic and it's in the news cycle right now. And you're seeing flashbacks of the airport. Right. Our team leader on the ground is South, South African. He's still there. He basically advised us in the first couple of days that, hey, let's avoid the airport. It's really messy. And he, he had great foresight. And we ended up taking everyone to Pakistan legally. We, we were getting visas through the consulate. 
Sure. And of course, we had to go through the challenges of getting cross-border everything else and the changes in the policy. But it was very successful. It was very smooth. We had to go through eight Taliban checkpoints. No one got searched. Nobody got touched. It was quite successful. And I would tell you that's because of the team on the ground and their relationships there. I think from a pure political standpoint, there'll be lots of finger pointing. At this point, that's kind of white noise to me. Mm-hmm. I think obviously we still, there are lessons learned in all of these evacuations. If you look at the evacuation of Iraq, it went very smoothly. It was very orderly. Mm-hmm. It was frankly not very much in the news. I think, and this is why I don't judge. I don't know what the conversations were with the previous administration. I certainly don't know. And I wasn't in the room on the conversations about you know shutting down all the way to just one airport. I think if you were to look at this strategically, that's probably, if you're to point to one thing, yeah. was shutting down all of the airfields down to just one was probably the biggest error. Now, without being in the room, it's really hard for me to judge how those decisions get made. Who's the lead? It was at state, was it DOD? Who's in the room? There's a whole series of factors that unless you're there living it, it's very easy to Monday morning quarterback. And for me, I just, I won't go there kind of politically. I think honestly, the biggest takeaway again is we've done this in our history a few times now, at least in my lifetime. And I think the key here is how do we not replicate this? How do we not make this mistake Mm -hmm. again is the biggest lesson learned for me as an American, not in the military during that, supporting it from the outside, if you will. But from a policy standpoint and an execution standpoint, the question is, how do we not do this like we did in Vietnam? How do we not have a collapse like this in Afghanistan in the next conflict? Because it's 100% guaranteed there will be another conflict. There will be another shutdown or evacuation out of a war zone. So I think that's the trick to all of this, frankly. How to do it almost politely, because you're right, when you did see the uh, rollout in 2009, I want to say, under the Obama administration of... Nine and uh, ten. Yeah. Yeah, with Iraq. yeah, you know, I remember it was late at night. I was watching like one of the pundits on, and it was like, yeah. "This is the last MRAP coming across the border." That's correct. Right? I watched the same clip. Literally yeah. watched the same MRAP come across the border in Kuwait. Same at probably the same time. It was live. It was just what's going on. I was in my twenties. Yeah. So this, yeah, this was just kind of like also spun. There was a lot of uh, sure. media, you know, that just yeah. uh, threw whatever goo at it to make it sound good for, I guess, whatever advertisers want to buy that bucket. But that's just me. Uh, saying that, in my opinion. Now, when you're going into places like Afghanistan after there's been, you know, so much turmoil and so much war, and you're going into places like Syria where, you know, Syria, yes, same kind of thing, but, you know, I feel that Syria was a very, didn't need to happen the way it went down either, you know? You were rescuing people, was that in like the 2012s, uh, 13s? When were you going in to Syria for that? Yeah, so Syria's been ongoing. So yeah. Syria, there was there hasn't been a start and an end point. It's still ongoing. Yeah. From a corporate perspective, believe it or not, just three, four years ago, we had corporate interest in trying to figure out how are we going to invest in Syria? How do we get into the oil patch? Is this going to be Western friendly? Are we going to rebuild Syria? Are construction firms going to go in? Our insur- insurance firms that we have that are our clients and partners from a pure insurance standpoint and the corporate side of this are looking in and, and evaluating how much risk are we willing, we willing to take to ensure the rebuild of Syria. These are mm-hmm. all on the corporate side, of course, but then we end up supporting our clients in a very militaristic way in that kind of environment. So mm-hmm. Syria is still ongoing. It's not a closed chapter for us. No, it's, no, it's not. It's been a very, it's 
it's kind of like just almost becoming a norm there and we don't want it to become a norm it needs yeah. to be not the norm that is what they've done and what they're continuing yeah. to, to do and so i wanted to bring that up on this because we'll note all this in our show and in the little you know breakdown of the dialogue so that folks reading it you know can yeah. get a gist of what i'm bringing up here with you and i'd also like to talk about in the teams you're the alpha of the 18 alpha right what's the 18 correct? alpha 18 yeah. alpha okay yeah. so that's the alpha and then were you cross-trained in any other thing other than like 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 communications or weapons bravo no so i was not most 18 alphas you know you're going to get a broad spectrum and overview of all that when you go through the cute the qualification course but as the commander of the team you won't necessarily get cross-trained to the level of an 18 Bravo or an 18 Charlie or 18 Delta or an 18 Echo. I heard this analogy. This was years after I had left the military. Someone said, by definition, a special forces A team is the most dysfunctional organization you can conceive, but yet it's highly, highly effective, right? And now that I'm older and I've been out of it for a decade plus, as I look back on that time, I think what makes those teams so interesting is yes, you've got this very small group of very unique people they are, you know, as you, you hear a lot of people say, they're average citizens that get to do extraordinary things. I think that applies. And I think the way it's organized, you can poke holes in it in a lot of different ways. But at the end of the day, a Special Forces A team, in my opinion, looking back on my time, is one of these organizations that is multipurpose, cross-trained, and ultimately, it's a one-button solution for a lot of different things. You can turn that, that organization and pointed in the direction of a lot of different mission sets and almost with almost 100% certainty, it's going to succeed at a very high level. And I think just that ability to pivot and be flexible looking back is the genius of it. So as you look at the organizational kind of structure and you can point to this almost guaranteed dysfunction, at the same time, the beauty of it, this dysfunction actually leads to why it's so successful. So it is really unique, and there's not a lot of, of organizations in the military structured that way. And I think that's what makes you know the whole Green Beret community very interesting and very successful, and no matter what the environment is. Right. It's almost, you know, you guys are built and taught in a way to be, you know, universal diplomats. Yeah. An interim, almost, I don't want to say government, but an interim, you know, mayor and like, hey, what's up? I got a sat phone, satellite <laughs> phone. <laughs> I can reach some people that can fix your yep. roads. You know, yep. it's like my medic has some NyQuil to keep your baby sleeping through the night while it's crying. Simple yeah. things. Simple. <laughs> no, it's really interesting how you could go from that very light human touch at the very bottom of the spectrum, if you will, mm -hmm. where it's incredibly important to that individual, but it's not clearly on a strategic level making impact. But yet you could have that same small organization literally have strategic impact instantly. And that's instantly. What that just so interesting. And again, it's it's so hard to explain that to someone who's never seen it, touched it. Of when they say when they ask, well, how's it how's it organized? Just like you did, Rad, and and I explain it, and they kind of go, I don't get it. How's that work? And then there, it's just very nuanced, and I I think that's why it's so special. Uh, very adaptable, you know. I think an SF guy or gal, let's just be be clear, is just a Swiss Army knife of just ideas and completion of the mission, yeah. right? Just like yeah. never give up. Uh, you've heard the the ranger rowing down the river and God is watching yeah. him, right? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> oh, the SF guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That. So 
and I'm very biased, right? Growing up in the culture sure. and uh, having Thailand jump wings on my dad's shelf from jumping out yeah. of hot air balloons. Did you ever have anything like that where you got to jump out of a foreign? Uh, yeah, the, I, I did jump out of foreign aircraft in Colombia, which was a lot of fun. The most interesting jump I ever had, believe it or not, was in the Pennsylvania National Guard. So I was in, and I don't even know if it exists to this day, it was in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. It was technically an airborne unit. So every month we did drill on our weekend, we would jump. That was scheduled unless it was a weather event. So we were based out of Fort Indian Town Gap, which I do know is still there. And it's this incredible asset that the National Guard has in that it has an enormous amount of aviation assets. And believe it or not, we, our primary jump platform back in the 90s was the Chinooks and the the uh, sky cranes from Vietnam. If you've ever seen a sky crane, they bolt a connex to the bottom of the sky crane, and then they rigged it so that you could do static ramp blasts out of the back. And it was the most unique thing I had ever done as far as an airborne operation. You know, obviously it wasn't a C-141 or a C-17 or a C-30. And right. Helicopter. Well, it is a, a helicopter, but a unique helicopter that has probably been phased out of the inventory, except for maybe the National Guard. It was really cool. So it's probably a helicopter that would be used if it's still available to lift stuff. <laughs> like yeah, so a massive lift capability. I mean, they were they could move a tank with that thing. So right. So they'd hook yeah. a conics to the bottom of it. You guys would be inside of it. Yeah. And the static hookup, right? Just like if you're the yeah. back of a C-130 or yeah. jumping out the back of a Chinook. Uh, exactly. Exactly. It was a ramp. And then to add to it, the other unique part of that was we jumped into Three Mile Island, believe it or not. I don't even know how they got approval for this, but we jumped into Three Mile Island on a night jump in the winter. So it was just this, you come out and the moon's bouncing off the snow and you're out of a, you know, a sky hook and you look down and you see the nuclear plant, just kinds of things you couldn't make up if you wanted to. No, it's 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 the live action video game that we yeah. all sit there and play where we jump out with a rocket launcher, eject from an F-15, shoot the aircraft with, and then land back in it and fly yeah. it away. Yeah, yeah. it's like. <laughs> I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. So with your corporate life, and you're moving right along now, you know, you've gone through your SFness and you've gone through, you know, being a colonel and you're like, were you in the guard when you created your company or was this something that you... Yeah, so I I retired, retired from active duty Mm -hmm. officially in 2012. You know, I say that I said this yesterday to executives from the NFL, if you're coming out of the government, whatever platform that might be, you really have three or four primary kind of standard paths. Number one, you can go right back and be a contractor for that agency. That's very Mm -hmm. obvious. Two, you can go work in corporate America, typically as a chief security officer, a salesman, a project manager. They'll take you and, you know, it can be quite secure and quite predictable. Three, you can go back to school. I started a PhD and I wanted to finish it. That that was what I thought I was going to do. Or four, you can start something. And I did not plan on being in business in this capacity I was going to go finish my schooling and education. And then I bumped into a series of businessmen that introduced me to kind of this world. And then ultimately I was given 
you know, the following opportunity. They just said, look, there is insurance. There are providers in the Intel space, the medical space, the cyberspace. Do you think you could build an interesting model to compete with the existing firms that are in these different spaces? And that was kind of the problem statement. And then it, we built the model and it just kind of took off from there. Yeah, they usually say, you know, the definition of an entrepreneur is out of a job. Yeah. <laughs> it's like someone's out of yeah. a job. It's like, you know, you're like, do I go back to school? Right. And uh, here you are, if you will, my analogy of being cocooned and turning into a butterfly and then cocooning again and then coming back out. So you've lived multiple lives now up until 2012. And now you're starting a new life, relying on your past, you know, yep. experiences. Yep. But today you're Dale Buckner the CEO, you know, CEO, the, the main guy, right? The SF yep. is on the resume. Sure. Right. And, and a lot of folks forget that part that, you know, a lot of folks get looked at today as if they're still just, you know, the Navy SEAL sniper, the yeah. SF guy. And they're like, Hey, you know, I have a PhD in, you know, quantum physics, and I'd really like to apply it somehow, you yeah. know, but like, the, the stories are always like, tell me about your static line jump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so how, it, how do you transition a, that? Yeah. yeah, how do you work with your civilian counterparts? Yeah, It's a super important point. So anyone that's in the government now and leaving soon or contemplating this, I was given really, really interesting advice. This happened in Austin, Texas at a conference where we did a division level after action review after tour in Iraq. And this was a former one-star Navy admiral he was now a senior vice president at Dell, the computer company in Texas. And he came in and gave a speech. And he said, everyone in this room is within three to five years of leaving the military. And you had two-star generals, you had colonels, you had majors. But he said, majority of this room, you're all going to leave in the next call three to five years. And he was right. And he said very directly, you're all going to have to make a decision. The military and the government experience is going to be part of your future and you're going to go to reunions and stay in contact and, and work within that world, or you're going to completely reinvent yourself. And that's just going to be, to your point, Rad, part of your experience, part of what developed you over time. And you want to take the best of those things, but then you want to really reinvent yourself. And I think for me personally, I went on the latter route and the military for me is something that's on my resume. I try and take the best of the attributes and the things I learned with me, but I reinvented myself in the way I think, the way I view the world, and what is the opportunity in business as an entrepreneur. And now that I'm kind of in a formalized, industrialized company, that it's changing again. And I'm constantly, I'd say every 18 to 24 months, as this has grown and grown and grown, I have to pivot and I have to reinvent how I view the opportunity constantly. It never stops. And I think that the attribution of being kind of a lifetime lifetime learner and never getting stagnant on one thing matters. So you're right. People do want to talk about this jump or that operation and so on and so forth. And in some cases, I might want to kind of pigeonhole you into you were the seal, you were the Green Beret. Mm -hmm. I think those statements are correct. Mm -hmm. For me personally, what I've always tried to, to craft, the, you know, when I meet people is that I simply say I was in the government for a long time. It was wonderful. I learned a lot. But now I'm a, a serial entrepreneur and I'm a businessman and that's my future. And my base was everything I learned in those first 24 years of my adult life in the government. That is my base. It's not my identity. It's part of my identity. I'm much more focused on tomorrow 
reinventing that identity of being a better businessman, a better corporate leader, a better servant to the community than I am looking back in my history of what I used to do or what I used to be. I don't tie my identity to it. It's part of me. It's mm-hmm. an important part, but it's not my future. Right. And I'm glad you got to say that. And I wanted to just bring that out there because I yeah. hear that as well. That's just a, a kind of a running mantra of the same thing. It's like, hey, myself, entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, as you put it, I've had the, my experience in the military and people have asked me, what did you do? And I said, enough yeah. <laughs> of to know that I like the good and, the, and then I got the bad sure. and I saw both sides. And so, yep. you know, but serial entrepreneur, it's taught me to take care of myself. It's taught me to take care of my family and those around me. And as a team, you know, I couldn't disagree with that mantra, even that you say it it probably just comes from my also upbringing of that same, you know, my dad inspired me at 13 to have a skateboard shop. Sure. Sure. You know, and he had a master's in uh, business management and human resources. I was working on his PhD before he passed away. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I noticed in some of your creds that you have like a a Bachelor of Science, and you have uh, from like Pennsylvania. Okay, let's think. I'm just going off my brain what I read. Yeah. Uh, but you have an MPA, and I yeah. know what an MBA is, but what's an MPA? Mama, Papa, Alpha. Yeah, M- Masters of Public Administration. Oh. Yeah. So very focused on government decision making on infrastructure, communications, transportation systems, all the way down to what kind of organizations you need to support your community and be effective at it. It's really a mix of government, a little bit of relations, a little bit of engineering. Uh, it was an interesting course. So again, good good looking back on the kind of the, the takeaways from that experience. Right. And there goes that uh, political, you know, I'm going to bring back to the SF of, you know, that mindset. You have understanding of that structure. Yeah. Yeah. It oh, always comes uh, back to the structure, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah. It does. No, I love yeah. it. Even though it may seem kind of like, you know, uh, you guys got two guys on every team that take one guy's role if another one can't, right. you know, maintain yep. it because the structure has to maintain itself, right? Yep. Even if people don't understand why you guys walk around with your hands in your pockets. <laughs> <laughs> no salute zones and, you know, calling me Aaron and you Dale, you know, that's the life that I learned young at the 19th where my dad was stationed. Uh-huh. Yep. Right. Salute free. And so, and so what was your unit? I started in the 25th infantry as an infantry Ooh. officer. I was in the 101st airborne as an intelligence officer. I spent all of my time in special forces and seven special forces group, seventh. seventh in Fort Bragg in Puerto Rico and Panama. And then I finished in the fourth infantry division as a special troops commander. And then ultimately I went to Afghanistan as a chief of staff, as, as part of NATO training mission Afghanistan. And then I received. Yeah. So I was all over the map, Brad. I did not have a typical pattern or path. I bounced from one branch to another. I saw all aspects of the military from light infantry to airborne to special forces to conventional. I saw all of it. And again, I think most people, when you're young, especially as an officer, you kind of get taught that there's a certain path to success here. And for me, I, you know, I got bored quickly and I wanted to explore and I wanted to see, and I did bounce around and have a very non-traditional career. Mm-hmm. Looking back, that actually has helped me materially here in the corporate space. I can imagine. I, was there a guy named Joe Cerna, I think, in seventh group that you were working with at all? Does that name ring a bell? Took a yeah. grenade to the stomach? 
I don't remember Joe Cerna. It doesn't ring a bell. Out of Stockton. Anyways, I'm going to shout him out. I'm pretty sure he's seventh. Yeah. But there, yeah. I know it's a huge – it's not just like six guys. No, no. Plus, I'm a, yes. I'm a generation out, right? Whoever yeah. I knew, you know, being out 12 years, I've lost. You know, I, I'm just not relevant. My whole cohort is now in their 50s. And at that point, unless yeah. you're – you know, the, the two guys – and I and you talk about shout-outs – yeah, tell me. I served with a gentleman named Josh Rudd, who I believe is either a two-star, maybe even a three-star now. I think he's in Hawaii as the chief of staff of PACOM. <laughs> um, and the current USASOC commander is a, not, a guy named Jonathan Braga, who I served with twice. There, He, I believe, is a three-star. And the two of them, this is what I would say about both of them, that as you look at the cohort of people I was with, those two were my peers. I would tell you that the system worked. They were smarter, they were faster, they were better, and they understood the playing field of understanding of being a diplomat, a politician, and a soldier like any no one else in my cohort. And it proved to me, looking back, that both of them, who I know incredibly well, it proves to me that the system did pick the right leader to become a two-star and a three-star general. I think John, you know, Josh Rudd will be a three-star or four-star. John, Jonathan Braga, if he's not a four-star, something's gone wildly wrong because he's, they're both incredibly smart. They're both completely dedicated, and they are the guys that were operators on the ground mm-hmm. all the way to now becoming GOs, and that's what you want in a GO. You want a warrior scholar slash diplomat slash, slash politician, and I think when I look at my cohort, those guys checked all the boxes where I was very myopic on the, you know, being a soldier and wanting to be a warrior. And, and many of my peers were, you need that too. But I would tell you those two specifically, and I know they're on active duty and I know this community knows who they are. Mm-hmm. I would tell you again, the system worked because they were the best and brightest. They were the best two officers that I served with because they did all of it and they were good at everything. And I think that was really good validation looking back you know, it really does. I'm super happy to see it. And I know that the military and, and the whole soft community is in wonderful hands when you have those kinds of guys make it and they don't get bogged down in the politics, if you will. Right. You've actually like, you know, talked with them and you know them and you're seeing where they've gone. And, and that's where you would yeah. probably expect them to get there and take care of the mission that they're in charge of with passion, right? Passion and care. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they, they want to be there, right? That's who we want there is. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm, I don't want to sound crass here. No, and I don't want to sound uh, emotional. No, no, no. Politic, <laughs> politics are part of every organization. When you're young, you don't really understand that. But I would, and I'm sure that inevitably, just by their position, they face political decisions. Oh, for sure. But I'm telling you to see those two people make it and know that they're not politicians at their heart. They're warriors first and foremost, and then they morph to the environment to get things done. It's really heartening because, you know, without being disparaging, I've seen several officers that weren't warriors. They were almost pure politicians and they made all decisions based on political calculus. And obviously the higher rank you go, politics matters, no question. Right. But to know that at the heart of these individuals, they are personable and they are real and they take care of people. And that's their core as being warriors first and not politicians first. That's the ideal model of what you want for your general officers, in my opinion. And both of those guys are that. They're warriors first and then everything else. And that, again, to see them promoted to those levels, 
in my cohort is just really, really heartening. No one deserves it more than those two. You know, that's sentiments that another three-star I, I had on a few weeks back said the same, same exact thing, uh, Douglas Lute. He said to me, he said, you know, uh, when I transitioned from one chain of command with Bush to Obama, mm-hmm. we had no politics involved, Rad. He's right. like, there was only one political appointee in our group. Yeah. <laughs> he and said, because at the end of the day, it all says U.S. Army, U.S. Yeah. Marines, U.S. Coast Guard. It has that U.S. Yeah. in front of it, which yeah. allows, I'm, I'm just going to guess, these guys to keep their sanity as well. Because, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I don't envy the position. There. They're in a, the world's in a tough spot. That's Everything's right. been politicized. Everything's extremism. They're in really tough position. These are hard jobs now. I think being a leader in anything is hard. Then when you layer in the hyper, hyper polarization and tribalism, you add that to the mix. I can only imagine what their day-to-day life is. I mean, I, I don't envy that stress from the perspective of when I was growing up 30 years ago in the military, you know, not to say it was better. It was just, we didn't have some of those factors. Mm-hmm. But I do think it just makes it more complex the calculus is more complex on making the right decision because you just simply have more factors to consider. So I think their job is probably much, much harder than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago for their peer group at that level. You remember Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? Sure, of course. You remember what he did to Congress to change their mind on the moment of a vote? He went and sat before them and said, I'm, I'm Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And yeah. you know what they all did? They all looked at each other and said, it's Mr. Rogers. Yeah. How can they cancel yeah. PBS? Right, right. Yeah. And today, could Mr. Rogers go in there and, and do sit that. down and say, I'm Mr. Rogers? Yeah. Clearly, we're in, we're in a different spot, for sure, Rad. We, we just are. So, yeah. And the issue is, as a leader, is you might not like it. It might make you frustrated, right? Mm-hmm. The issue is, and I, I face this in the corporate space, there are parts of what's going on in the corporate space I might not personally agree with, but it doesn't dismiss the fact that as a leader, whether you're in government or in the corporate space, that's the playing field. So you mm-hmm. have to you have to account for it and you have to find a solution within that playing field. And that's really, that just comes down to adaptability and making good decisions based on facts, not emotion and making good decisions on understanding the environment at a global scale, what's happening. Agreed. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. With you running your organization, where do you guys see yourself tomorrow? You know, you do have plans. I'm sure you got two to five years planned on that whiteboard. There's a lot going on. And let's talk, uh, you know, what do you see with Ukraine right now, you know? So, Red, without being myopic on one thing, I would tell you that we do, we are on the whiteboard, literally. Yeah. Yeah, Our five to 10 year outlook is this Global Guardian, if you go to our website, we are still very US centric. Me, my client base is primarily the four to 1,000 and families, and some government contracts. That being said, we have operations in 134 countries. That's a fact. We operate on average in 53 countries a month. That being said, I don't have a large cohort of European, Asian, or Middle Eastern 
clients. And that's there is an ocean of opportunity. So we've been at this for a little over a decade. We've built a highly profitable, fast-growing business. As we look at this, and not to sound crass, but I need Europeans selling into the European market. I need Asian leaders selling into the Asian market. So we, Global Guardian, as a corporate entity, we are going to expand our offices in Germany, France, London, in Europe. We're either going to expand in Japan, South Korea, or primarily Singapore. We're going to stand up a large space office there, both operationally and as a beachhead into sales into the Asian market. And then I think we will probably go into Dubai and operate a a relatively large sales operation out of Dubai to cover the Middle East. Central South America, we can cover here from the Americas. Mm -hmm. In sequence, we're going to expand in Europe first. Three years from now, we're going to open up in Asia. And five years from now, we'll open up in the UAE. And I think that's kind of the, the near term for us. We're in 134 countries. We go where the West goes. We're following the money, if you will, Rad. Sure. Of course, because that's your client. Yeah, I don't know that we'll go beyond 140 countries. As you stated, we started in eight. To get from eight to 134 took us a decade. I don't know that we'll go much past 140 because we're we're really covering that footprint of where does the West travel? Where's the investment dollars? So I think that's, you know, at a macro what we're doing. And then I think we will continue to build out services. I think we might do one to two more acquisitions. We might acquire more camera surveillance firms. We might acquire another air ambulance firm and or we might look into acquiring a firm very much like us in Europe as a, as a beachhead, as I described. So as a client, so someone that would be listening to this, you know, yeah. and they're like, oh, OK, you guys are talking about ransoms and terrorist attacks. So like what would be the 911 call to get you on the phone to say, hey, I need your services? Yeah. So this happens weekly. I, I don't mean to sound flippant. Uh, no, we just had it. We had just in the last 96 hours, we've done two medevacs, one in India, one out of Domrep. The 23-year-old in Dominican Republic was on a four-wheeler without a helmet, crashes, and has real brain trauma. We have mm-hmm. to find a former military doctor to get to a very remote clinic. They drain his skull. We get him on an aircraft, fly him into Miami, and put him in the best trauma hospital in Miami. At the same time, we're doing a medically evac from a car wreck in India back to Europe. Within 24 hours of that last medical evac, we get a call. We have a Japanese client literally on the top of Mount Fuji stranded. We have to go up into Mount Fuji. He's got enough power and food for another 24 hours and get him off the mountain. And and we do. And then that's kind of the extreme stuff in addition to war zones and natural disasters and everything else. And then if you're a corporate or you're a family... And you know that you've got exposure, meaning mm-hmm. you, you have people out and about, whether it's domestically or abroad, and you simply want that response force, that global 911, whether you get kidnapped, whether someone gets hacked, someone gets stranded, someone gets uh, sick or injured, you want to know who you're going to call. So the, the beauty of the model at Global Guardian is we take all the calculus out. You don't have to think. You have one email, one phone number, no matter what situation you might face as a corporation or as a family, we're now going to solve that problem for you. And this is truly global. I'm not flying in ex-special forces, MI6 guys after the fact. I basically have a standing army around the world that can move in minutes (laughs) now, is the tagline we use. So this is kind of the model. And a lot of those tendencies you can imagine 
come from my experience in the military. I love it. Yeah. That's a very good how you broke it down. And you're handling lots of different events at the same time. Yeah. Definite uh, whiteboard. <laughs> Wait, interesting. Okay, we had an individual arrested in India yesterday because their passport expired. And luckily, they only detained him at the airport. They put him in this like little prison cell at the airport. We did get him out in two hours, and now he's stuck in a hotel until we get to the consulate to get him out on Monday. Mm-hmm. But it's just that kind of reaction. If you're a corporation, if you don't have infrastructure on the ground in Mumbai, what do you do? When you have us, you simply make that call, and then we can we can take care of that issue. And I think that's the scalability of, of the platform. It just shows how efficient yeah. it is in response, if you will. What an appropriate name, Global Guardian, you know, Global Guardian. Is that .com, .org? What, how does someone find that? Yeah, globalguardian.com. It'll pop right. Yeah. yeah. I just want to make sure that that's put out there. Yeah. We'll put that in our brief at the bottom of the of Great. the post and everything. We put that on softrep.com. You know, I know you you have a lot going on and and I've had you for 45 minutes of solid conversation and yeah. I would love to have you back as someone who gives us updates on Global Guardian and what you've got going down, you know, with your thoughts on the world, right? I really like your take. Yeah, Rad, I I would, you know, if we do this again, I would love to have a a bit of a, you know, if we could do an issue where we just talk about the globe, because I'd love to have that conversation about U.S.-China, the relations, how that's decoupling, what that might look like. I'd love to talk about Iran and what's happening with Israel and how we could get pulled into that from two different directions. I'd love to talk about what is happening in Europe with Ukraine and Russia. Those are kind of the big three, but there's a series of other things domestically we should talk about at some point, because I just think there's a lot going on, some mm-hmm. good, some bad, mm-hmm. some hyper-politicized, some not, and, and those conversations are valid mm-hmm. and they're, they're required at this point. And I think having an open mind, not being tribal, not taking mm-hmm. it from one viewpoint or another, mm-hmm. but trying to be very you know 360 about this matters at this point in age. You know, I completely agree with you on that. And not knowing any side we are either on, I would have a candid conversation with you about it, yeah. you know, respectfully. And I would hope that I others could listen to that. Rad, we, I think it, this is like I'm 54. If I can't have a mature conversation without going tribal and just defending one side or the other, like I'm missing it, right? I've just yeah. clearly, I didn't learn the lessons of life. No, so it's, I, it's true. Yeah. When you look at these things, if you can't look at it objectively, objectively, based on fact, and you're going down a path based on some kind of mindset or theory, you're you're missing it. Like you, mm-hmm. you know, as you mature in life, you should lose some of that as you go, I think, and realize that at the core of everything is the human condition. The human condition matters, it drives everything recognizing what the internet has done, recognizing how connected we are, recognizing good information versus bad, all these things go into this. But ultimately, to your point, Rad, if we can't have that mature discussion without being tribal, then I just think you're missing it. I think you've, you've got to kind of pull your head out of that and look broadly across the entire spectrum, look globally and then look domestically and kind of break each one of these issues down in a very mature manner without trying to go down one path or another. Mic drop. (laughs) So with that, my friend, my new friend, Dale Buckner, I'm grateful for your service in the Special Forces community. Congratulations on making Colonel in that and then moving into this life. It shows that veterans can go from, you know, enlisting, chasing the collegiate, you know, getting that degree and getting the officer and then becoming 
your own businessman again as an entrepreneur in something that you're passionate about and that you oh, love. Yeah. And I think that if if we just wind this down and just say, you know, to my listener, if you're passionate about something and you've asked somebody a million different people about an idea and they say no, but you still feel it's true, go with it. Okay. Because you're going to make sure you're that it's up to you to bring it to life and to fruition your passion of that. I can't, you could, I say, nah, it's not for me. (laughs) Right. But it's for somebody. And if you believe in it, then just run with it. And, and with that, and on behalf of Dale Buckner and Global Guardian and the world being a safe place to sleep at night and Soft Rep Radio, go check out our merch, by the way. We got merch. Okay. I got to say that. Go check out the merch store on Soft Rep. But thanks again, Dale, for being here. It's been a pleasure. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Red. Really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.